Thank you, Duke Marching Band, for getting us started, and welcome to, I think this is the 11th edition of the DBR Podcast. I'm your host this week, Jason Evans. You know me on the bulletin boards as Jason Evans. I do not hide my identity. The, the other two people I'm with sort of a little bit kind of do. Um, one of them is one of my usual co-hosts, Sam Klein, otherwise known as Dev11. Sam, tell the, tell the folks hi. Hi. It is a lovely, lovely day in Denver, Colorado today. I just wanted everybody to know that. Well, it's a lovely day in Atlanta, Georgia as well. And uh, we have a special guest uh, host with us this week, uh, Mark Newton. You know him as Newton14 on the DBR. Mark, say hello to the throngs and throngs of people out there dying to hear your voice for the first time. Uh, Hello, Duke fans. And uh, it is a lovely 65 degrees here. And I'm fortunate enough to live about 20 minutes from Cameron. So hello, everybody. Color me jealous, very, very jealous. Although I'm going to be coming down for the, I should say, coming up from Atlanta for the Clemson game in just a couple of weeks. I can't wait for that. Taking my son to see uh, a game in Cameron. He hasn't done that before because I'm a bad father. At least that's what I've been told. I All made right. it. I made it until senior year of high school before I got to go. So, so you're doing fine. Yeah, my, my son's just a sophomore, so I think I'm okay. Guys, I I, want to put aside all the fun stuff for a moment. And obviously, uh, it was a great week for Duke basketball, but it was a really tough week for some other programs in the ACC. And that's what I want to start with first. Three of the major programs in the conference suffered some pretty severe setbacks, some some things that are going to bother them perhaps for a long, long time. Syracuse put itself on probation. Virginia lost its best player for at least the rest of the regular season. We'll get to both of those in a moment, but I'm going to start with the news that rocked everyone this morning. By the way, we're recording this on Sunday the 8th. It's around 4.30 in the afternoon. Um, The news that rocked everyone this morning, uh, a a true legend uh, has died. Uh, UNC lost its longtime coach, Dean Smith. Uh, Guys, let me throw it out there for you. Mark, uh, you live in the area. Why don't you start for us? Uh, What are your thoughts? What are your reflections? What what does this mean, losing uh, the great Dean Smith? I think of Dean as an icon for sure. Um, I grew up in the 70s uh, when, when I was coming through my formative years when Carolina was dominating, um, which was frustrating, obviously, uh, for a Duke fan. But um, as much as you hated uh, Carolina in, in, in the rivalry, uh, especially as you got older, um, you, you came to understand just how brilliant of a coach the guy was. Um, I have nothing but mad respect for his coaching abilities. Um, I was fortunate enough to, uh, one of my best friends from high school that uh, I grew up with um, and graduated with went to Carolina and he was a uh, player manager for Dean uh, for four years. Um, So I got a lot of inside scoop from him back in the day, but uh, it's a sad day. Uh, I think this is a day where state Duke Carolina fans alike will uh, mourn and, and, and think back to you know the greatness that was uh, Dean Smith. That that's my thoughts. Sam, what what what's, what's your commentary on this? You're you're a little bit younger. You weren't really around for the Dean years very much, were you? No, I um I was going to say that I didn't um I didn't I didn't ever see Dean Smith coach. Uh, it I'd sort of right he retired right before I kind of was into college basketball. Um, but in following Duke for the past fifteen or so years, um. You know, the coach that everybody compares him to and that everybody always wants to talk about, you know, living up to the legend of is Dean Smith, uh, the Final Fours and the national championships. And in particular, you know, being in the ACC and being in, in the triangle and doing it there, um, you know, I, I've 
read so many stories about about Shashevsky coming up and, and sort of the rivalry that he developed with Dean, even though Dean was kind of you know at the end of his career or you know middle to end of his career when when Kay was really coming into his own. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of funny stories out there about it, and and I think that uh, Coach Kay had the best had a great comment this morning. Um, Duke put out a press release about it, and uh, Coach Kay said that losing Dean Smith. In losing Dean Smith, we're, we're losing someone that we're not going to be able to replace. Um, you know, he was such a pioneer for basketball. Uh, he obviously developed a lot of strategies that, you know, maybe, maybe we, like to, we like to make fun of on the board. But, but at the same time, you know, he was, he was a really innovative basketball coach uh, from all the comments from his players. It sounds like, you know, he was such an amazing person that he, and that he did for his players, you know, a lot of things that we say that Coach K does for our guys. And so you can understand uh, you know, where the Carolina fan is coming from, even someone, you know, who's as young as I am, who doesn't really remember it. Uh, he's, you know, he's, he's the godfather of, of ACC basketball um, that was still alive uh, until, until last night, it appears. So yeah, it, it's, it's incredibly sad. Um, I wish I'd, I wish I'd been able to, to see him coach. Um, but it's, it's good being able to read all the stuff today and to hear all the nice things that, that people have to say about him. Well, I- I'll pick up the mantle at, at this point then, um, because I, I grew up very much with Dean Smith, as as many folks who've read the boards and people know me uh, are aware. My family um, are all Carolina fans, so uh, I grew up rooting for UNC. It wasn't until I started going to Duke that I became a big Duke fan. So uh, growing up in the 70s and 80s, um, Dean Smith was basketball to me. He was college basketball. Uh, as as much as I think Coach K's greatness comes from motivation, I think of Coach K as a great motivator. He gets his kids to play hard all the time. I think Dean Smith was an innovator. And and Sam, you touched on it a little bit. Um, look, the four corners, which people like to mock, is a brilliant, brilliant game control strategy, offensive strategy. Uh, when he put the ball in Phil Ford's hands and they ran the four corners, Carolina was darn close unbeatable. And, um, and to some extent, uh, not to some extent, to a very large extent, the rules of college basketball were changed because of the four corners. Um, uh, you can say, but Dean said, okay, well, here's a rule that I can take advantage of. And uh, he took advantage of it brilliantly. Um, it, he was the guy who first told his players, when a guy makes a pass and you get a basket, you point to him. You point to the guy who made the assist. Dean was the first guy to say, hey, when we free throw, everybody gathers at the free throw line and we talk about what we're going to do next. Um, Dean was the first guy to say, if you're out there and you're tired, raise your hand. These seem like basic nothing things now to us, but they were all innovations and they were all things that made the ball easier for him as a coach and easier for his players as a team. Look, one of the biggest things I'll give him credit for from an innovation standpoint is he was one of the first guys to really use big men, his center, his power forwards in half-court traps. That Carolina half-court trap, you'd bring the ball over and suddenly Serge Zwicker at 7-3 was all over your point guard. And it was like, it, it was it was crazy and it was really, really difficult to stop. Um, and I'll tell you from, a, from the standpoint of a Duke fan, one of my friends, um, one of my Duke friends sent an email to me today that I think all Duke fans need to think about. And he said, Duke and Coach K would not be where they are today without Dean Smith. Dean set a high, high bar and Kay had to reach the very highest level to get over it. And that is a really big deal for Duke. And then the last thing I wanted to mention about Dean is, and a lot of people have said this today and will continue to say it, 
as great as he was on the court, as great as he was as an innovator in basketball, he was an even greater man off the court. Um, Dean once said, you don't do the right thing because you'll get praised for it. You do the right thing because it's the right thing. This is the man who, who integrated. So uh, he, he brought the first black athlete to UNC. Um, he stood side by side with civil rights pioneers during some of the worst times that they had um, trying to, to get civil rights going throughout the South. Um, I know there's a little bit of a taint on UNC's <laughs> academics at this point, but but I don't think anyone questions what it was on Dean. He was one of the insist on his players getting their education. 96% of the kids under Dean got their UNC degree, which is a stunning, stunning figure. And a lot of them who would go pro early would come back and take classes to finish off their degree. You can't say enough about what Dean Smith did on the floor. You can't say enough about what he did off the floor. Um, he, you know, like my friend said, he set a high bar and all of us, uh, all of us fans and all the other coaches out there are constantly striving to to get over it, and and it it ain't easy because he was such a great man. He will unquestionably be missed. And I've left you all speechless. <laughs> no, I, I wanted to. Um, you, you did spur some thoughts. Uh, this is Mark again. Uh, you spurred some thoughts for me, Jason, on uh, things I remember. Uh, one of the things about watching Carolina under Dean late game situation, timeout, you're down a point, it's tied or you're down, you got to have a bucket. There's, you know, five seconds left, three seconds left. I think most people, if, if they're being honest, they always got a good shot, always. It didn't always go in, but every single time they were in that situation, they got a, they got a look. And, and more often than not, it, it was a good look. Um, and it was maddening as a, you know, as someone who wanted them to lose. Um, but the, like you said, little things, they didn't bobble the ball out of bounds. They didn't, you know, the kid didn't cut to the wrong spot. They ran the play that he drew up and they got the look. And, you know, more often than not, unfortunately, uh, the shots went in to, to steal a game that probably they should have lost. Um, you talk about the innovation of, you know, pointing at the player or the, the bench stands up when a guy makes a shot. One of the other simple things that uh, he, I think he brought in, how many times did you see them in that situation? There's four seconds left. You got to go the length of the floor. They would rifle a pass to half court and immediately call timeout. I, I remember Carolina being one of the first teams that kind of started that practice. And um, it, it, he was a great X and O guy. Um, for those that didn't get to see him coach, he, he was a brilliant X and O guy, in my opinion. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, it's very well stated, Mark. Hey, hey guys, I want to move on to another topic. Um, this is the, after all, the Duke Basketball Report podcast, not the Dean Smith Praise Report podcast. Uh, so let's let's talk a little bit about um, what Syracuse did this week. Um, they, they, they self-imposed a one-year postseason ban on their basketball team because of some stuff that went wrong about a decade or so ago. Um, uh, there are a lot of people out there who's saying that, uh, you know, this was a little bit gutless because this is a year that Syracuse clearly was not on their game. Um, not one of the top 10 or 15 teams in the country. Wasn't going to make a lot of noise in the postseason. Um, here is Syracuse, uh, seen as penalizing, um, the kids who are currently on the team for stuff that went wrong three, five, eight, ten plus years ago. Um, and and a lot of folks are are pretty upset at Syracuse for doing this, even though you know uh, you know your initial reaction is to say Syracuse is is 
owning up to what they did wrong and, and saying, we want to be punished for this. We think we deserve some punishment for it. Um, Mark, why don't you start for me? Um, what, what are your thoughts on, on what's happening up in Syracuse this week? The Georgia Tech game when I got the news on Syracuse, and it was uh, shocking at first. I, I couldn't believe uh, that, that they had done that. Um, it, it's big, right? And I hear the argument that, you know, it's kind of lame. They're, they're in a down year. It's it's an easy play. Um, I, I can sympathize with that view, uh, but at the same time, you know, you're taking away Rakeem Christmas's, uh, uh, you know, his last chance to play in the tournament. Um, I don't know if they would have made the NCAA or not, um, but they certainly absolutely would have been in, you know, the ACC tournament. So does it have, you know, do I think they did the right thing? Yes, I do. Um, I always think it's best for a team to own up what they did, so, you know, self-inflict. Um, but it, it, it was shocking. It definitely was a shock. Sam, what about you? It's interesting that that you know removing yourselves from from postseason eligibility is is a punishment for academic dishonesty or or some some kind of academic violations. It's like the the two don't really relate to each other, and particularly particularly in this case, you know the the players that are at the at the center of this investigation have already left Syracuse. I think Fab Mello is, is wasting away on a bench in the NBA and, and he was one of the, he was one of the main players who was involved in this. Um, so yeah, it is tough because it seems like you're, you're punishing the guys who didn't, who weren't involved in it. Uh, and sure you're, you're punishing Jim Beheim a little bit and his coaching staff and, and perhaps they're a part of it. Um, but the players who are there are, are bearing the brunt of this punishment and, I was just uh, I was just looking at uh, Mike DeCourcy's article in the Sporting News about this, and he points out that uh, it'd be one thing if they had announced this last summer. I mean, they they this has been a story for a few years now. They knew that the NCAA has been working on it, and if they had said in August, you know, we're gonna we're not we're gonna declare ourselves ineligible for the postseason this year, fine. Then the players have a chance to to transfer and and go somewhere else. The players who have remained academically eligible. Uh, it just seems it seems wrong. The timing is poor for them to do it at the beginning of February. You know, we're a month and a half from Selection Sunday, and and all of a sudden, Syracuse isn't going to be there, and and they're not going to show up at the ACC tournament. Now the ACC has you know sold all the tickets and the rights and everything. It 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 the timing just seems really bad, uh, and it doesn't look good for Syracuse. At the same time, um, you know, however long it's going to take the NCAA to finish their investigation, it's going to do Syracuse you know a little bit of good. Because the NCAA is going to say, "Oh, look, you you know you imposed some kind of sanction, and so we won't we won't punish you as badly." Um, so it's just another example of how you know, a lot of commentators point out that, that the NCAA enforcement system is broken, and that um, people are going to bring this up continually. As you know, guys like Jay Billis are going to say, "You know, why did you know why did all these Syracuse players get punished for for the, the sins of somebody else?" and uh, it's it's a shame for those guys, and as Mark said, especially for Rakim Christmas, who I think has been in basketball for like twelve years. Um, he's not going to be able to play in a postseason tournament in his final year, and he's a guy who's improved every year. Uh, and and really for the rest of the players, I mean, you only get so many shots at playing in the postseason uh, in college basketball. Well, you know, I want to play off a couple of things that you guys mentioned. Um, the first one is you talk about Rakim Christmas, and I've 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 heard a lot of commentators talk about the fact that oh, if they announced this a while ago, Rakeem Christmas could have transferred someplace else because he's a senior, so there would be no penalty for transfer because they can't pay the season for his last year of eligibility. Um, I, I, I'm not 
I'm not so sure that that's a, a really legitimate argument because if you look at what Rakeem Christmas was in previous seasons, yes, he's improved every year. The degree to which he's improved this year is remarkable. Um, he would not have been a super high kind of um, you know last minute recruit had he suddenly been available. And I don't know that if he'd gone, he would have gotten the opportunities that he's gotten at, at Syracuse. And, and it, it appears he has played his way into at least being on the NBA's radar. So I don't know how horribly harmed he's been. Um, uh, you guys also you briefly mentioned, Sam, uh, that uh, the, one of the best parts about this thing is that uh, the, the academic impropriety with Fab Mello, Fab Mello's excuse for why he, he was needing help academically was he couldn't speak English. So it was a little hard for him to take classes at Syracuse because he couldn't speak English. I want to be like, really, Syracuse? Why was this guy even in school? We all know the answer. He had great talent um, uh, or at least great size. Uh, but, uh, you know, sort of sort of so pathetic that, that that's the reason you got in trouble because you brought in a kid who actually couldn't speak the language that the courses were being taught in. But the last thing I want to talk about is, so I was watching College Game Day yesterday with Jay Billis, Seth Greenberg, and Jay Williams, all expressing great indignation and anger over the fact that kids of today were being punished when they had nothing to do with it. And I get it, and they're right. It's not fair. But I didn't hear any of them come up with a solution. When a school breaks the rules, there needs to be some punishment. Otherwise, there's no disincentive to break the rule. There's nothing to stop you from breaking the rules. So if you break the rules, what is the answer? And it's got to be, my dog Cameron is chiming in. He, he agrees with me. Okay, Cameron, we got it. It's got to be that the school goes on probation. Even if it is kids who are currently in school who, good God, Cameron, my dog's really wired up right now. He's really into NCAA enforcement policy. I see. It sounds like it. Put him on he the is. committee. He is. Um, so, Seth Greenberg was the only one who had any potential solution to this other than putting a school on probation. He said, we should fine them. He didn't talk about how big the fines would be. Are we talking about many, many millions of dollars? Because if it's not a huge, huge fine, then schools aren't going to care. Um, and if it's a big fine, I think that still hurts kids because if you find in an athletic department $3 million, $5 million, $10 million, the way they're going to deal with that is they're going to shut down something like golf or wrestling or swimming or something, some one of those other non-revenue sports to pay for the big fine they had to, that they incurred in hoops or football. They're not going to shut down their hoops or their football program um, to, to, pay for, to pay for those fines. I don't know any solution other than putting schools on probation. It I must be done. Yeah. I, so, I think the, the, the thing that, that really needs to happen is that these investigations need to move faster. Um, Fab Mello hasn't played at Syracuse in what, four, four years? Um, if, if the NCAA cares about these sorts of things, then they should put the resources to them and, and get them done. Um, you know, if, if you're going to do a probation the next year, then a lot of those guys are still on the team. Um, it, you know, after a certain amount of time, it's like, it's like, what are we even punishing? What are we punishing anybody for? Um, if we're just making up these, these punishments, you know, years after the fact, you know, USC, um, having scholarship reductions because Reggie Bush took, um, like got got a car from a booster, you know, eight years before the punishment was handed down. It, it, it's it, it's absurd how long it takes the NCAA to to move on this kind of stuff. And and maybe that is up on the schools. But I mean, what do we think that the schools are going to start all of all of a sudden reporting all of their all of their incidents? I I I'm not sure. 
Well, the thing on timing, if I, I just want to add one comment there, if I may, um, it, it's interesting. You'll you'll see a school do something and quickly uh, get punished, and it happens almost immediately. Um, and then you see the other cases where they drag on and on and on. And and you know the conspiracy theorist in you has to wonder, you know, are there politics at play? Um, is there big money involved? Is someone influencing this? Um, you know, where a, a smaller school gets hammered quickly and then a bigger school, you know, it takes four years. So I don't know. I, I, I agree. You have to put them on probation, Jason. You, you have to. Um, otherwise, there, there's no punishment at all, really. I'm, I'm glad you agree. I, I, I wish the NCAA would put more resources toward enforcement. Um, I don't think that day is coming anytime soon. All right. So we're going to move on to the third thing in the rough week for the ACC, which is probably the one thing that really impacts um, the, the quality of the on-court play more than, more than the other two, and that is um, Justin Anderson of Virginia, who was clearly Virginia's best player thus far this season, their leading scorer, um, their, their, their biggest outside threat, um, and a guy who, uh, who has improved tremendously this year um, has broken his finger. They say that he will be out um, six to eight weeks um, six weeks would put him coming back right around the start of the ACC tournament. Um, what looks more likely is that he will not be back until the NCAA tournament, if even then. Um, this is a major, major wrinkle for Virginia. Sam, what, 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 what's your feeling about this? What's the impact of this on, on the conference? Well, we talked about Justin Anderson extensively, I think, when we previewed Virginia a couple of weeks ago. I said that, you know, he's, he's their most improved player and he's their best player. Uh, and uh, a lot of folks give credit to Tony Bennett for, for making that team a team. Uh, but Justin Anderson does a lot of the heavy lifting for them on both sides of the ball. Um, so this is a huge loss for Virginia, except for the fact that their schedule is kind of light at the end of the year. Um, they get Louisville at home at the end of the, on the last day of the season, and they still have games at NC State and at Wake Forest, but they don't have Duke again. They don't have UNC. Um, they don't have to play Notre Dame again. So it's going to be very interesting to see how well uh, Virginia learns how to play without Anderson because they have a lot of time before their biggest test, which is that at Louisville game. Um, you know, they have time to they have time to reshuffle the lineup and and figure out you know who's gonna who's gonna score those fourteen or so points a game that he was providing. Um, but the most interesting thing is that if we get through the ACC tournament and Anderson doesn't play, and then we get to Selection Sunday, um, you know, maybe Virginia doesn't win the ACC tournament like I think a lot of folks would expect them to do at the point if it wasn't going to be, you know, say Duke or or UNC. Um, if Justin Anderson is not going to be healthy until the NCAA tournament, and let's say Virginia only has one or two more losses before then, where does the NCAA selection committee put them, you know, in the bracket because? Their resume is really solid. They're they're arguably still maybe the second best team in the country resume wise. Without Justin Anderson, are they still that team? Um, and how can they prove it between now and then? They don't really have that many opportunities for it. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if if the committee says, "Hey, you don't have Justin Anderson. We don't know if he's going to be back. We're going to drop you to a three or a four seed." Um, as far as competition in the ACC, like I said, uh, their schedule is light, so it's not going to affect a lot of marquee games. But they're they're now walking on a tightrope without him, and they have to figure it out quickly how they're how they're going to restructure uh, their game plan. Uh, Mark, what did you uh, what did you think about Justin Anderson? Incredible uh, athlete, first of all, and I was 
the amount of improvement this kid made, even in a year, um, he is really, really good. Um, I, I think, you know, like you said, he is key uh, to their team. Now, I do believe that Brogdon is a extremely strong player. Um, I really love that kid. I think he has the ability to step up, take on more of the offensive load. Um, and I think he'll do that, especially with the, the schedule not quite as tough as it could be. Um, but I, I agree with you. With him healthy, they are definitely, in my opinion, top two, top three team um, in the country behind Kentucky. Um, and, you know, when you go to see the team, I think you have to see them on who they are at that point versus, you know, who they were. So when it comes to selection Sunday, how healthy is he? And, you know, how good is Virginia at that time? Well, I'll say this, and I want us to, to move on. We need to talk about Duke a little bit. <laughs> but um, uh, I guarantee you will be hearing from Virginia as we get close to Selection Sunday. If Justin Anderson is not back for the ACC tournament, and I won't be shocked if he's not, um, you'll be hearing from Virginia that, oh, he's been practicing. He's all ready to go. He will be there for the start of the NCAA tournament. Oh, yeah. That's, That's definitely happening. There's no question that that will be the party no question. Line coming out of Virginia. Whether or not that is true, <laughs> we won't find out until the NCAA tournament begins. But um, that is it'll, definitely it'll what be, they will be it'll saying. be like. Uh, it'll be like Duke talking about Kyrie Irving's comeback in 2011, about a month before it happened. And Ryan Thanks. Kelly, same thing. And yep. Ryan Kelly, that's right. Exactly, exactly. I'll, I'll, I'll add this one last little thing. Uh, folks who read the DBR know that I, I posted a lengthy article about Justin Anderson and his um, unreal shooting percentage this year. And I, I said that at least some of it had to be attributed to luck, that there was just no way that a guy who had over his career been as sort of mediocre a long-range shooter was suddenly hitting 50-plus percent of his three-pointers this year. It just didn't make any sense to me. I said there had to be some luck involved. Um, I had no way of knowing that um, he would suddenly be struck by the worst bad luck possible and would be um, completely out for the rest of the year. So uh, so I feel for you, Justin. That was not me putting the mojo you know, on you or anything like that. All right, guys, I want to move on um, to talking about uh, our Blue Devils. Who? Um, yeah, yeah. Who that? Um <laughs> They had an, a, a fairly decent half of basketball against Notre Dame. Fairly decent game. <laughs> um, about the most enjoyable half um, and full game of, of Duke basketball in many, many a year. Um, Mark, you were at the game. Man, what was it like to be in Cameron? We went on a 43-7 to run. 43-7. to are you kidding? Tell me about what that yeah, more was. More than a run, that's a beatdown. It, it was awesome. Uh, first of all, I, I was fortunate enough to be sitting with a fellow DBR uh, CDU. Uh, he and I took the game in together. Um, we were incredulous. Um, we were nervous when the first two Notre Dame threes went in. Um, but I, I got to tell you, and I said this on the board a few minutes ago before we started, um, I felt the energy and the electricity when I walked out of on the out of the concourse into the tunnel. You could feel it, and when I stepped, you know, through the tunnel and got you know into the upper bowl, it, it felt like a Carolina game. It, it was so much energy in that building, and it was the students were going nuts. And this this is ten teams before tip. Um, it was crazy loud. Uh, the the student section was full. The grad section was full. It felt like a UNC game, um, and the players obviously responded to that. And when they went on that run, it was it was unbelievable. We had a, some poor guy behind us was a Notre Dame fan, and um, when the first two threes went in, you know, he was talking smack, and it, and it didn't take long for him 
to have his day ruined. Um, he got awful quiet, didn't he? He got awful quiet, I bet. <laughs> he got extremely quiet. Uh, it was a it was a beauty. I, I told CDU I didn't remember a game like that uh, since the 40-point beatdown of Maryland um, with the uh, John Shire-Gerald Henderson team, if you guys may remember that. It, it, was, and that was, was that a, the game? Was that the game where Gary Williams got tossed out like five minutes it, into the game? It was, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that was pretty fun too. <laughs> yeah, it is so hard to hold a lead. You guys know this. For any team, you get up 17, 18 points. It, it's hard to hold a lead. And when you get up that big that early, they never they never let Notre Dame make a run. Um, Notre Dame made one run in the second half. They cut it from 25, I think, to 19. And within – like 90 seconds, it was back up to 26. And well, they no, never no, looked back. Actually, they, they cut it to eight, from 30 to 18. Um, or you may be right, about 25. And then we went on a 12 to nothing run. Yes. Say 10, back to 30. And it was like, okay, this thing's over. Um, Sam, uh, your, your turn. Uh, wax poetic about the poetry that we saw on the floor yesterday. Well, Mark stole my comp um, from that Maryland game in 2009. Uh, and that's, all, that's what I was thinking about for – for most of the end of that first half and then into the second half was just like, you know, a team comes into Cameron and gets completely blitzed. They, they don't know where to turn their best player. Um, isn't making any of their, any of their shots. I don't, I don't think Jeremy Grant, you know, affected us much at all. Um, and it was that same thing in that Maryland game in 2009. I think Grievous Vasquez had like two or four points in that whole game. Uh, and that was not long after his comments about how Cameron was, was his house. Um, I, and I don't think Jeremy Grant said anything like that this week. Um, but, it, you know, same kind of effect. Um, it was amazing to see, you know, we, we, we couldn't miss a three. Um, we couldn't miss any baskets. It, it, I, uh, I was really astounded by it. Um, and I wanted to point out um, one, uh, one comment that I saw on Twitter from a, from a uh, college sports writer named Patrick Stevens. Um, he noted after the first half that uh, – that Duke scored 1.85 points per possession on Notre Dame, and that and his commentary on that was in short, Duke's offense will never ever ever look as good as it did in that 40 minutes. Um, and I, you have to agree with that. Because yeah, no, yeah, it, it definitely perfect. right. Um, yeah, it, it was it was an incredible thing to watch. Um, I was watching. Uh, I watched the first half um, by myself at a bar, and then a, a buddy joined me at halftime. Um, and when he walked in and saw the score, he goes. He goes, are we even still watching this game? I mean, this is a total joke. Uh, and, and obviously, we didn't, we didn't have the same sort of effect in the second half. But, man, it, it, was, it was really, really fun to watch. Um, the, the players were all really into it. And, uh, and, Mark, like you said, I mean, you know, the atmosphere seemed like it was incredible on television. I will note that I'm pretty sure that this is uh, Notre Dame's first visit to Cameron since they joined the ACC. And, boy, what a, what a welcome for them. Uh, you know, here, come check out. The, you know, you you've heard about Cameron Indoor before, and, and it's going to be exciting to play here. And oh, by the way, we're going to beat you by thirty points the first time you come in, even though you're a top ten team. Uh, I was really impressed with Duke on Sun or uh, on Saturday. Uh, you know, um, in the first half, uh, other than um, Jefferson stepping out of bounds a couple times, uh, we we did nothing wrong. Um, and and we've talked a lot about the offense. Um, I want to I want to point out that uh, that was as good as Duke has played defensively all year. I thought that's an exceptional Notre Dame team that we held to 60 points um, that, uh, you know, that, that uh, for 17 minutes or so, Notre Dame scored seven points. Um, that's just absurd. Um, 
Cameron is still into the uh, Duke. He yeah, agreed but... with that point. He thinks it's absurd that Notre Dame only scored seven points. Cameron definitely agrees with that. Uh, and, and um, you know, the other thing that I sort of found fun was listening to the announcers a little bit. I, I didn't think that Grant Hill stood out all that much in terms of his announcing, his analysis. But uh, someone pointed out to me that at various times during the game, the announcers compared uh, Big Ja, Jazilla. Uh, by the way, that's, if, if, that's what Tyus and Justice call him, Jazilla. But the announcers compared Jazilla to Shaquille O'Neal, Hakeem Olajuwon, Wilt Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Tim Duncan. By the way, should I stop? No Cameron? Bill Russell? No Bill Russell. Oh, no Bill man. Russell. He's got to improve his defense a little bit. <laughs> right. I mean, those comparisons are crazy. And by the way, I loved the move where uh, where Jawzilla just, just pushed the Notre Dame guys out of the way. He got an offensive foul, but it was like, I am going to dunk this ball on your face, and I don't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he was... He, He's he was ridiculous. Yes. Well, you know, in the it was it was really the second half that he was the first half. We were carried by our, by our perimeter play, by our guards, by the shooting, and by the penetration, especially of Winslow. And then the second half, it turned into the Jawzilla show. Um, but I, I like the Jawzilla show. That's a fun thing to watch. Definitely, uh, guys. I want to move on. I want to move on really quickly to the uh, Georgia Tech game from earlier in the week. Um, anyone who listens to us faithfully will know that in my preview last week, I said that Georgia Tech was um, one of the worst shooting teams I'd ever seen, that there was no way they would be able to shoot over us, that we should play zone the whole game. And Georgia Tech promptly went out and hit 8 of 11 from 3. Usually it would take Georgia Tech about 40 shots to hit eight three-pointers, but they hit eight of 11 against us. Meanwhile, Duke shot five of 17 from three. Um, I think that, you know, it was like a Freaky Friday kind of thing where we changed bodies with them. Um, but uh, it was a game that Duke got the win. Um, Sam, why don't you start off for us really quickly? Just give me, uh, you know, one minute, not even on, on what you saw in the Georgia Tech game. Everybody loves to talk about trap games. As You know, every game is either a big game or it's a trap game. Um, and this, I think, would have fallen into the trap game category. Uh, we had just had that big emotional win at Virginia. We had the Suleiman news. Um, and I, I was just glad that we got out with a win. Uh, Ken Pomeroy said this weekend, I don't remember who Georgia Tech was playing, but Ken Pomeroy noted that Georgia Tech might be the sixth best team in the ACC. Uh, their record does not tell you how good they are. Um, and, and I'm inclined to believe the stat king of college basketball. So I'm glad we got the win, and I'm also glad that we don't have to see them again. <laughs> Mark, were, were you in Cameron for the Georgia Tech game as well? I did. Um, I was able to get to that game. Um, I, I'll keep it quick. I, two thoughts, and, and I would say this to any college fan. I think we, we as fans, sometimes we set expectations too high. Um, there are always going to be games when a college team doesn't have it. They're not at their best. They're not shooting it well. Um, they're not playing badly. They just don't have it. And there's going to be four or five of those games a year. This was a game for Duke Wednesday night. They were, they just didn't have their normal mojo, um, but it was good enough. And and then credit Georgia, uh, Georgia Tech for, again, 73% from three um, was just mind-boggling. So, again, happy to – that's one where you think Thankfully, get the win, get out of there, and be done with it. We can't blow out every team. And, and that, that was the other comment, right? You would expect us to beat Georgia Tech by 20. And in conference play, um, teams know you. They, they know your habits. They, they've played you. They know you. And I, I, I've learned not to get upset if we don't beat 
what we think is an inferior team by 20 points, right? Because it's not always going to happen. I I think that's absolutely entirely true. Um, And I'll say this is one of those games that I never felt all that nervous about during the game. The score was close. I mean, you know, it felt like Tech was going to come back and and almost take the lead a couple times, and they never should. I probably should have been more worried. Um, But it was just one of those games I felt like, you know, we're better. We're going to pull it out. I was bothered that our free throw struggles seemed to continue, and that scares the heck out of me going forward. But, um, uh, Mark, you're you're dead on target. You can't blow out everybody. Uh, And Georgia Tech is a a quality team. They're a great rebounding team. They're very good at taking the ball to the rack. Uh, I want to move on to another team that it looks like Duke should be way better than. Um, Monday night, uh, we play at Florida State. Um, FSU uh, has a five and six record in the ACC, which which looks fairly decent, but um, they haven't really beaten anybody all that good. Unless you know you count a game, they beat Miami, but then again, Miami is that's a rivalry game for them, and you sort of you know throw the records out kind of thing. Um, Florida State is ranked 128th in Pomeroy, which is not good. Um, this would be a bad loss if Duke lost. Sam, uh, I know you you took some extra time to look at FSU. Tell us what we should be expecting there. Yeah, so FSU has had a little bit of um, a little bit of unfortunate uh, sort of incidents. Uh, they're probably their best player coming into this year was Aaron Thomas, and he was declared ineligible after the first semester. So they've kind of struggled a little bit at the beginning of ACC play to find their footing. Uh, Leonard Hamilton always has always brings big teams who like to rebound and who like to play defense. Um, their defense isn't that great this year, but it, it's still a lot better than their offense is. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it's I think it's been a challenge for him. By the way, when I was researching Florida State earlier, um, I I looked up Leonard Hamilton's been there for 13 years. And he's won the ACC once. It's amazing that a guy can keep his job for that long. And he, and he only won the ACC for that first time in 2012. Um, it's amazing he's kept that job that long. And I also didn't realize that he was 66 years old. Um, so shout out to Leonard Hamilton, uh, old school basketball guy who I did not realize was that old. And um, many, will say, many will say he's a great coach. I hear that all Yeah, day. Yeah. I, I was going to say a, a lot of commentators say that without, without him really producing results, you know, other than that incredible 2012 season. The, the reason he's still there, I think, is that expectations for basketball at Florida State are not very high, and they, they just don't care all that much. I mean, they're all about the football. Hey, we, um, to hi- we, we fired Ted Roof after four years. Yeah, this is true. This I is suppose true. it's a little bit of a different situation, but yeah. Um, so a- anyhow, um, Leonard Hamilton is is doing the most with, with the team he has. Um, the, the point guard position that... Aaron Thomas was supposed to play this year is being manned um, by a freshman from Toronto. His name is Xavier Rattan Mays, and he's actually having a pretty decent season. He's averaging almost five assists a game and 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 almost fourteen points. Um, can't shoot it though. He's only twenty four percent from three. Uh, I feel like we're going to be attacking that guy a lot. He he has the ball in his hands a lot for them. Um, so we're going to be pressuring right at the top at point guard. Um, I'm not sure if he's played in an environment like Cameron yet in his in his young college career um but uh, uh the, the game is at fsu excuse me why did i think the game was in cameron the game is at fsu xavier rattan Mays is going to be so excited to play against duke at home and is probably going to have an awesome game um so, <laughs> <laughs> all of my commentary just throw it out the window um they've got a. Uh, uh, they've got Devin Booker is their is their starting shooting guard. Uh, he's a great three point shooter, um, and he's a, he's great at the free throw line, which is something that we only get from from two of our players. Uh, he hit 
He hit all of his threes against Virginia Tech over the weekend. Um, he's not as good at shooting as he was in years past. Um, last year, I think he was around 45% from three. So uh, it, it's one of the rare cases of a player kind of getting worse as the years go on, but it might just be that you know more attention is being paid to him. Um, so FSU likes to play tough. They like to play physical. Uh, I, I think I say this every week, but you know, let's see how they how they play against Jolly Okafor and if they can get him in foul trouble. Uh, Notre Dame did it somehow. Um, you know, part of that being Okafor's offensive foul. Uh, you know, charging at the hoop, um, but it didn't it didn't affect Duke offensively. So um, you know, Florida State is. I think they have a little bit of talent, um, but like Georgia Tech, it's going to be it's going to take a really big effort from them outside of you know what they normally do um, to be able to take down Duke. I'm glad you mentioned Booker, by the way, because he is the only guy on that team that can shoot worth a lick. Um, this is yet another game. I'm going to jinx this again. I said this about Georgia Tech. I'll say it about Florida State. They're a terrible outside shooting team, other it's than bad. Devin Booker. Other than Devin Booker, they're 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 woefully bad. Um, there's like no one else in that team that you can count on to hit more than maybe 25% of their threes, and they they take a fair number of threes. Um, I I I think Coach K, please play a little bit of zone, man, just a little bit. Um, and and these guys, uh, you know, and watch now they're they're going to hit eight of out of eleven the same way Georgia Tech did. I, I've done to us again. Mark, you got any comments on uh, on the Florida State game? Anything we should just look one? I think Booker's what a ninth year senior now. Yeah, I thirteenth year, I believe. There, there have been, there there been a lot of guys named Devin Booker. That, that, right, that's right. We're getting him confused. He has a T on the end. The T yeah. gives him an extra six years of eligibility. I think. Yeah, I'm always scared to go down there. Uh, they always seem to play us well, um, no matter what. And it's always a. So I think someone put a a thread up on the board, scared of that. And I always have that fear with them for some reason. But hopefully we uh, we get it done. We certainly should get it done. I, I should also mention um, uh, their other uh, wing, uh, one of their wing players, Monte Brandon, had an awesome game against Virginia Tech, and he might be a guy who's who's coming into his own. Uh, he's a junior and and has played a lot better this year. Um, he he might be playing a really good game against us too. So so watch out for Monte Brandon. Man, all, all I'll say is if these guys beat us, I'm going to be really disappointed because they're all right. All right, you know what? Let's move on. They're not that good. Come on. Okay. So after the game on Monday, we have another nice long break before we play Syracuse on Saturday at Syracuse. Um, the game at Syracuse last year was a fairly decent contest. Um, really, really great game that went to overtime. Um, an instant classic. Uh, and um, uh, Syracuse. I'm sorry. What'd you say? I said that Rodney Hood was fouled. I don't know if you heard. Uh, yeah, he was fouled. Yes. Yes. I am aware of that. Um, by the way, Syracuse plays on Wednesday, so we get a little more rest than they do. But I don't think they're going to need any rest. They're going to be geeked up for this game like nothing ever. We talked about them being on probation. I think this is this is going to be their postseason game. This is their national championship game if they're going to get one. Uh, Mark, tell us what we need to look out for um, uh, at Syracuse. And I think I think you're probably going to bring up a name familiar to Duke fans, aren't you? Yes, I am. Um, a couple important things to note about Syracuse is one is they are really shorthanded. Um, for varying reasons, they're basically down to a six-man rotation. Um, they play seven kids, but the seventh kid plays like five minutes a game. So it's 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 going to be six guys. Rakeem Christmas, it, it starts with him. The guy's averaging 18, nine points per game and 9.9 .9 rebounds per game. He's become a beast in the middle. He's going to challenge Jaleel, and it's going to be important for Jaleel to stay out of foul trouble. 
Um, so that's going to be one thing to watch for. Uh, the other thing is uh, Trevor Cooney. Obviously, everybody's aware of his uh, shooting prowess. Um, so they have the ability to, to hit you from deep. And then they have our our old guy, Silent G, as we called him. Um, and he's turned into a fine player, actually. He's averaging 11 points per game for them. And he's kind of like a do-it-all, which is, if you go back to his recruiting report, you know, he, he's one of those players. He's averaging 11 points, four boards, and three assists a game. And he's, you know, kind of a tweener. He can go inside if he has to. But um, but they are really, really shorthanded. You're going to play, you know, you're going to see the two threes on the entire game. So um, it's important for Duke to attack. And uh, CDU and I were talking about this yesterday. We are so much better, and I, I want your guys' opinion on this as well, but we are so much better when we push the ball on the break and we look to break even after made baskets and we get, you know, um, Winslow going downhill at the basket or Tyus Jones, uh, it, we are better when we're pushing the ball and we can get some fast break points because the thing is about a zone is you can get lulled to sleep on, in a zone and, and you can also get lulled into doing nothing but jacking up threes. And we've got to have a balance. I, I think we've got to have fast, fast break points. We've got to have points from Jaleel. And then obviously we're going to have to hit some threes, um, but you know what you're going to get. And like you said, it's going to be their Super Bowl because basically they have nothing left to play for this year. Right, I'm going to ask him and embarrass you. Did you not say Michael Benajay's name because you couldn't pronounce his last name? <laughs> oh, did I not do that? Oh, I called him Silent G, didn't I? Sorry. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I, I thought you were intentionally avoiding his name. <laughs> no, sorry. Good catch. Uh, it's Michael, uh, Michael Benajay. Yes. Michael Benajay, yes. No, I – I love that kid. Actually, I, I I hate he left, but he he's a good player. He he's a very good player. He's been doing it. All, you're dead on target. He has been doing it all for them. Uh, Sam, your comment about Syracuse? Sure. I mentioned in the in the early segment about the about Syracuse's sanctions that I feel like Rakim Christmas has been in college for twelve years, and I stand by that. I feel like every season I've I've seen an article or or seen. You know, Andy Katz on ESPN telling me that, you know, this is the year that Jim Beheim expects Rakeem Christmas to break out. Uh, and it's finally happened in his 12th year of eligibility. Um, but he, he, like Mark said, he's been really phenomenal this year. Um, he scores the ball really effectively. Um, and, and it's just a shame that, that Syracuse doesn't have, um, doesn't have Trevor Cooney around like they did last year uh, to, to run that offense. I think Benajay has been playing a lot of the point guard for them this year, which Beheim didn't expect you know, coming into last year, he didn't know, you know, how good Cooney was going to be and that he was going to leave early and that he was going to have to make a guy who Coach K said. Was I'm going to jump in. You said Trevor Cooney. You mean Tyler Ennis. Oh, Correct. my God. I totally mean that. Oh, can I start one more time? <laughs> continue. Con no, 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 no. Continue. Continue. <laughs> That's two major mistakes I've made on this podcast. It's almost like I'm not preparing for it. And I, the worst thing is that I'm, I'm looking at Trevor Cooney's name on their on their stat sheet. It's Tyler Ennis I'm talking about. Trevor Cooney is their shooting guard. Oh God, it's a it's a bad day for me. Um, it's it's fine. So as I was trying to say, um, Jim Beheim, you can you can tell misses Tyler Ennis um, and his early departure, and and that's part of the reason why they're why they're playing um, such a small rotation is that he's not there. Um, so I'm I'm very curious to see how well they play. Um, given the news that they got this week that they won't be playing in, in any postseason tournaments. Um, but again, you know, like Florida State, this is a team that, that it looks like we're better than. Um, it's just that they're going to be really jazzed up to play us. And, uh, and obviously, if, if 
the game provides any anywhere near the level of excitement that either of the Syracuse games did last year, uh, I'm going to need some medication or or a few beers um, by the end of it. I noticed that Syracuse, after announcing the sanctions, the self-imposed sanctions, immediately went out and lost to Pittsburgh. Um, Pitt's a decent club, you know, they're they're sort of right in there close to Syracuse's level. But, um, I, you know, if Syracuse was still gunning for the tournament, that's the kind of game that they'd go, oh, you know, this is a big one. We need to win this one to cement our position. I think that may be the start of what's going to be a tough um, second half of the season. And then the other thing is I, I do want to talk about Michael Benajay. Um, he has he, not only has he, you know, obviously gotten better since the days when he couldn't get off the bench for Duke, which led to him transferring, but um, just over the past month and a half or so, uh, he, you know, since the calendar turned, he's been – you know, one of Syracuse's main scorers, he and Christmas are carrying a lot of the scoring load. He has upped his game even from the beginning of this season. Uh, really nice to see for a kid who, uh, who you know, struggled at Duke um, and has now uh, really found a good spot for himself elsewhere. Um, guys, we've been on this call forever. This podcast is going on and on because we've had so much to talk about. So it's about time to wrap it up. It is time for our player of the week. Duke went 2-0 and this week, so there should be lots of potential nominees out there. Sam, I'm going to let you kick it off. Tell us who your player of the week is. He didn't have the best stat line, but I want to give player of the week this week to Quinn Cook. I think that a lot of the progress of this team has been his maturity and his leadership this season, and particularly on the heels of the the Rashid Suleiman news. Um, I, I would imagine... Uh, that it's on the captains as well as it is on the coaches to to keep the guys focused and to you know make sure that they all understand their roles. Uh, Quinn Cook did it looked really nice uh, against Georgia Tech um, uh, last week. Um, he had a pretty decent game against Notre Dame, and I'm just in general really pleased with with how much he's grown into a leader over the years. And and perhaps that player of the week shout out is also owed to Nolan Smith, who has been at Duke, I think, now for a week or so, uh, rehabbing an injury. And and knowing that he and Quinn Cook are close, I can only imagine that that Quinn has been leaning on Nolan a lot. So uh, player of the week to Quinn Cook, but also to alumnus and fellow class of 2011 or Nolan Smith. Uh, I love that pick. Uh, really like you shouting out to Quinn Cook because, as I was saying when we first started these podcasts a, a while ago, I thought one of the big keys for Duke's season was Quinn Cook being as good in you know February and March as he typically is in November and December, and and so far he's living up to that. So I, I love that you picked on him. Great, uh, not picked on him, but that you picked him. <laughs> Sorry yeah. about that. Uh, Newton fourteen. Who is your player of the week? I I am going with Justice the Beast Winslow. Um, I love this kid. It's great that he's healthy again. I, I, I know he, he has to have been hurt the way he was playing there. This kid is our wild card. Um, as good as Jalil is, as good as Tyus is, as good as Cook has been, when Winslow is on and he's doing his thing, Duke goes to another level. Um, and I, I just – I think he's the key. And uh, he, had, he had a strong two games. Um, doing a lot of different things. Um, but I, I love that kid. He's my player of the week. Uh, and, and I will echo your comments um, because Justice Winslow is my player of the week as well. Um, uh, he has now racked up three consecutive double-doubles, um, uh, which is no mean feat for a guy who's been to at 
a good percentage of his time on the perimeter to get that many rebounds. He has been, um, you know, crazy on the boards. He's distributing the ball really well. He had he had seven assists in our two games this week. Um, I think if you are a a smart opponent, there is nothing that will scare you more than Justice Winslow gra- grabbing a defensive rebound and pushing it up the floor as fast as he does. Bad things happen for the other team, and good things happen for Duke when Justice Winslow is in the open floor. You know, leading a three-on-two, leading hell, heck, leading two-on-four. Um, he is he is incredible at getting the ball to the rack. Um, I think he set the tone for us the past couple games with his play uh, early in the game. Um, he, he had a fabulous, fabulous week. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. And, and Mark, I 100% agree. There's, it, it, it's clear that there was something wrong with him a few weeks ago. Whatever it was wrong, um, either he's fought through it or it has gone away. And oh boy, NCAA basketball, everyone else in Division One, you should be afraid. Be very afraid because Justice Winslow's coming. Um, he, so uh, go ahead. I was going to say, I think that Justice Winslow has busted through the freshman wall like uh, somebody with his head of hair should be doing. <laughs> he has cool locks, man. They're just cool. That's all I'll say. Amen, guys. I like that. I like that. So that's about pretty much going to wrap it up for us. By the way, a little tease for next week. If you were watching the Notre Dame game, you saw at one point they flashed in the crowd to the Admiral, David Robinson, who is at the game, along with his son, Justin Robinson, who has committed to Duke for next year. Um, Justin uh, is going to be a walk-on. But he's still sort of a recruited athlete for for the basketball team. Um, next week on the DBR podcast, we will be interviewing and talking to Justin Robinson. Um, I have a pretty funny, cool story about how I met Justin and how I convinced him to come on the podcast. I'm really excited he's going to be here. We're going to have a lot of fun chatting with him. He's going to give us a lot of inside dirt on the visit he had to Duke over the weekend where he saw the Notre Dame game and, and what he thinks his future is at Duke basketball. I will give you this one hint. I was talking to David. I was talking to the Admiral. And he said to me, Justin just keeps on growing. Um, Justin's grown like three inches in the past year, and David thinks it ain't stopping anytime soon. So, Justin, here's to you getting to be just as tall and as good as your daddy. Uh, I, uh, I I hope that happens. Um, so that's a tease for you, folks. That's coming up next week. But for now, we're going to wrap things up for this week. Sam Klein, Dev11, thank you very much for being with us, sir. Yes, sir, Mr. Evans. And Mark Newton, Newton14. Thanks for stepping in, um, helping us out this week on the podcast. Uh, do you have any final comment? Um, I, I really enjoyed this. Thanks for uh, having me on. Uh, I'd love to be on again sometime, but uh, great week for Blue Devils. Yeah, we'll see. If we get a lot of hits, if we get a lot of people listening, we'll have you on again. If it's down, no way, man, you're off. I have no chance. <laughs> we, but, but, but I know that Donald is going to listen. So, Donald, we do miss you. We are not forgetting about you. Right, that's right. Donald Wine could not be here because he's at the U.S. men's soccer team um, game uh, against uh, Poland or Portugal or uh, I forget who they're. I'm embarrassed. I should know who they're playing, and He'll I don't get mad know who at week about it. He's going to get mad at me for that. But that's what he's at. For folks that don't know, Donald's like one of the greatest fans of U.S. men's national team soccer that there are out. There. He's like featured on ESPN commercials and stuff like that. But regardless, that's it for this week's DR podcast. Again, thanks, Sam. Thanks, Mark. And Duke Marvin, take us home.